Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of The Young Humanitarians. My name is George Mullins, and as per always, it's really fantastic to have you all on board. So for this week's edition of the podcast, we're going to be discussing space policy. However, before that, I'm really delighted to announce that we've signed a partnership agreement with the Centre for Youth and International Studies, um, for which uh, we have the founder and director, uh, Andrei Kusaru, um, speaking. Um, so for this week's edition of the podcast, we're going to be delving into space uh, policy. As I referred to at the start, this is an increasingly important area of international affairs. So to briefly just introduce Andre, so he's the director of CYS and he's responsible for the growth of the center to one of the world's leading organizations to provide facts and analysis on future global security, development and humanitarian threats. He holds a BA from Lancaster University in politics and economics uh, in the United Kingdom and an MA in international security. Prior to assuming the directorship of CYS in 2020, he served in several international security-related IGOs, most notably the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, and the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, as well as the European Commission. How are you doing, Andre? Good morning, George. It's a pleasure to be part of uh, the Young Humanitarian Podcast, and thank you very much for the kind uh, introduction. Sure, maybe. So before we actually get into the space policy, would you like to maybe speak a little bit about CYS and the work that it is that you do? Of course, George. CYS started uh, from the vision that we want to create a sustainable world for the next generation of decision makers. And together, uh, we've uh, put our powers together uh, at the European Commission to have the leading uh, thought leaders uh, in, uh, in our group to create this think tank. And since then, we're now amounting to a team of 14 individuals from different IGOs, focusing in the political, military, economic, environmental, and the humanitarian dimension uh, in different areas of thought. Uh, together, we are uh, focusing on different contents from blogs to podcasts to uh, uh, video recordings. And we are here to uh, have discussions with key decision makers uh, so that we can actually have Uh, our vision achieved for a more sustainable world. Yeah, the work that they do is is really incredible. So to all the listeners, please do visit their website. There will be links in the description. Uh, They've also got, uh, as Andre said, they've also got podcasts that they're going to be releasing. So definitely give them a listen. Um, Really fantastic work. All young people. So very much the target audience, to say the least. But let's go straight into the discussion. So um, space policy is not often spoken about uh, as an emerging area in international security. It is increasing in prevalence, of course, at least in comparison to cybersecurity. So can you outline for our listeners what are the main international mechanisms and UN agencies principally that deal with space policy? No, excellent question, George. Uh, I would say first and foremost is to discuss space as an emerging area. So this uh, domain has become uh, an area of great interest to me, given uh, the, the the really emergence of a second Cold War in the sense that uh, we have the ideological uh, fight between uh, the US and China. And focusing on this, whether this is now a new domain altogether, uh, I would say that this is not really the case as looking into the Cold War, um, 
there have been already uh, uh, um, aspects where um, there have been uh, the intercontinental ballistic missiles technology being integral for both the nuclear race and the space race. So all this has been really the foundation of uh, creating international mechanisms and also UN agencies that could actually prevent threats within space. Um, so the main international authority on space is without a doubt uh, UNOSA, the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. And uh, the main mission of UNOSA is to promote and also to facilitate peaceful uh, international cooperation in outer space. It also works to establish the legal and uh, regulatory frameworks for space activities and assist uh, developing countries for using space and technology for sustainable socioeconomic uh, development. From UNOSA, we have the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, and this is now a forum uh, for the development of international space law. And most notably, as someone who is really looking into all these uh, legal aspects of law, is uh, the Treaty on Principle, uh, Principles Governing uh, the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space. This is one of many treaties that have been established by this committee. And uh, they really put the foundations and principles on how to use space uh, as part of the international community. Fantastic. I mean, w- one of the main ways in which recently space policy has come back to the front is through uh, President Trump's uh, creation of the Space Force. And so far, the Biden administration has actually kept a, l- a lot of these policies. So could you could you outline why was Space Force created and is it going to have an increasingly important role in the future? Definitely, George. I would say that the question really is why is space important to begin with, to really understand why Space Force uh, was created. Uh, It goes without saying that space has changed dramatically over the last few years. We see many more actors uh, entering space, the democratization of space, if you will, Um, being uh, that space capabilities are becoming cheaper and more accessible, uh, while also more vulnerable to incidents and debris, as well as uh, margin action. There's also that the security environment has dramatically changed as uh, over the last few years, the rule-based international order and international security have increasingly been threatened and also contested by malign actors. And now also countries have become increasingly reliant on uh, on missions with uh, the development of uh, new technologies. And um, these are incredibly important for communications, for crisis response, for disaster relief, even for counterterrorism uh, intervention. And this is really how Space Force actually began out, began out of the changing need of uh, the international space and also the changing security environment. So now the US Space Force is one of many legacies of Donald Trump. I would say one of uh, uh, the most beneficial ones that actually came out of this. Um, and uh, the U.S. Space Force has been directed by Congress uh, to maintain and, pr- and expand the U.S. fleet uh, of advanced military satellites that form the backbone of uh, U.S. global military operations. And uh, the importance of the satellites uh, are of vast importance to the U.S. military, um, given uh, the focus that it can allow instantaneous communication across all battle zones, identify enemy positions and movements, track weather patterns, guide navigational systems, and also allow for precision strikes. Um, so this really were the main aspects why uh, Space Force was created. Now regarding Biden's relationship with uh, Space Force, uh, this is a really interesting uh, aspect to look into. While 
President Biden is very notable of reversing many of the Donald Trump era uh, legacies, uh, it actually has maintained this. Um, it was very much that um, the main reason why Space Force, first of all, from a, just a domestic political uh, lens of why it will not go away is very much that this will have to like go for an act of Congress uh, and this will not allow uh, Space Force to go anytime soon. However, uh, we uh, also had the Secretary of Defense uh, discussing about space widely and also Biden as well, saying that uh, it is a really great strategic importance. They've not really emphasized Space Force as, uh, as the, the, the new uh, military branch of, of, of the US. However, they do see the strategic importance into this. Absolutely. I mean, um, so Greg Grant, a uh, Pentagon official in the Obama administration, uh, noted in an article that there's been a dawning realization that our outer space systems are quite vulnerable. So what are the main ways in which member states have aimed to protect their assets in outer space? And also, what are the main challenges to actually doing this? I think to, to go on uh, Greg Grant's um, point is uh, the discussion on ASAT, so anti-satellite uh, capabilities. And this is very much linked to the democratization of space as uh, you don't have actors such as the United States anymore, but you also have China, India, and Russia that have developed this anti-satellite capabilities. Um, and this is really very much linking to two branches of threats, threats that would actually require um, a space weapons response and those that do not. On those that um, would require a, spa a space uh, weapon response, you would have uh, threats to small satellites, uh, uh, which are very much just small lightweight satellites, just making space accessible uh, to an increasing uh, number of countries. Uh, you also have satellites in low orbit, short LEO, that are also vulnerable to laser illumination that could potentially cause the loss of power due to the solar degradation. And um, you also have the possibility of uh, a nuclear explosion to knock out virtually all satellites in low orbit, which is incredibly threatening to the resilience of um, the lions or uh, who, who would be impacted. Um, however, this is like an, a more blurry part. And this is also interesting with this new domain such as cyber as well. Uh, what is the actual response when uh, the threat is not as high? There, of course, will not be any casualties. However, there will be um, interferences within uh, national intelligence, uh, within um, uh, eco economic affairs, uh, within just our day-to-day -day lives. So these are things that would not be addressed with space weapons, such as the jamming of satellite links, the control of high-resolution imagery, or also the orbital debris. So all these aspects altogether uh, really are the threats that uh, are within space. However, the responses are not really clearly defined on how can we actually have a collective or national response uh, to uh, threats that are either uh, natural or also uh, that uh, may be used by malign actors, uh, either by state actors such as China or, or uh, Russia, or non-state actors um, by hacking satellites uh, or um, just uh, destroying the, the space infrastructure. One of the main risks that is caused by this escalation in outer space is, as you've alluded to previously, there are lots of UN mechanisms that basically state that, you, that space is, is for all of humanity, um, whether that's for 
uh, scientific purposes or other. And in the past, there have been attempts to bring weapons into space through, for example, the Star Wars program of the Reagan administration. However, this this ended in failure um, as officials recognized that it was incredibly dangerous uh, to bring nuclear warheads into space, rightly so. And if, for example, you're to lose control of that nuclear warhead in space, that can be uh, a, a pretty severe uh, risk, to say the least. So, as and as you've uh, rightly noted, there's been more of a war- move towards anti-satellite weaponry. So, what are the main developments that we've seen regarding these weapon systems? Great question, George. I would say that uh, to go into space uh, um, and thinking about nuclear weapons, we really have to talk about the term theory. So essentially, space is a bit like nuclear weapons because without nuclear weapons and without space, we would be back to an industrial era uh, indiscriminate uh, by the total demolition of war. The idea is that a major surprise attack by an adversary on space capabilities could actually significantly undermine the credibility of nuclear deterrence. Uh, For example, um, by compromising the uh, ability of a nation or of uh, an alliance to detect launches on intercontinental ballistic missiles. Um, And it could also be a precursor to global conflict. So this is a really good question. How do you deter such attacks? by focusing on deterrence theory, uh, there are two aspects. It's deterrence by denial, deny adversaries uh, the benefit uh, it is seeking, or deterrence by punishment by ensuring that the cost uh, for its actions will be pro- uh, pro- prohibitive for the adversary. And going to like the developments on anti-satellite weaponry. So this has been a technology that's been greatly expanded in the early 2000s, um, especially focusing on the US government that has adopted a more aggressive approach to space security and control um, by drafting documents that envision a restructuring of the military commands and um, also the deployment of ASAT uh, weapons and uh, space-based weapons. So I would say that three type of weapons that are uh, particularly interesting to look into you have the satellite jamming, which is interfering with radio communications between a satellite and uh, users on the ground. You also have maneuvering satellites, uh, satellites that could approach and potentially touch satellites with uh, uh, the target's cooperation. Uh, and this could be the basis for ASAT weapons uh, capable of causing temporary or permanent damage to the satellites. And you also have ground-based lasers can interfere with satellite sensors or damage um, a satellite's body. So all these are really threatening to the infrastructure of uh, the nation having its satellite systems. However, depending who you'd ask, it may be actually beneficial in terms of uh, deterring espionage on one's territory. So this would be the main developments into anti-satellite weapons and also thinking uh, really about uh, nuclear warfare in space as a whole. Yeah, great response. Um, So... When we're looking at space as a domain for international security, we, we of course, have to consider the role of China uh, and, and not just the U.S. And, you know, at the moment, uh, Chinese-American relations are not the best, to, to, to say the least. And so regarding space technology, of course, China has been studying um, American military policies, especially in its inv- invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, in which battlefield successes were 
very much seen as rooted in space and dominance thanks to satellite guided bombs, cruise missiles, as well as the vast quantity of military intelligence that they're able to gain through space photography. So in what ways have has China's space policies changed over time? No, this is, this is a really, really interesting and also a very pertinent question. So um, it goes without saying that everything that uh, I say at this stage uh, is very much a personal opinion, not reflective of any organization. It is very much that um, China as a whole has become increasingly self-reliant over the years. Uh, this is very much so that it has been actually excluded out of uh, international negotiations and international space cooperation uh, in a very uh, ironic sense. Uh, so the U.S. has actually excluded China from this by banning visa of sci scientists, by not allowing them on the ISS uh, uh, space um, uh, shuttle. And this was very much that uh, this has made China self-reliant by making its uh, space system, by having the CSS, uh, the counterpart, you would say, of ISS. Um, and uh, by this, China is rapidly uh, taking up space, uh, uh, pace. Uh, it is developing uh, itself as uh, a space power. And uh, while not widely known or discussed outside of China, the culture has really grown parallel to the country's space industry. Um, there, the ideologies surrounding Chinese space exploration they're being steadily cultivated by um, by the nation, uh, with the uh, media really just focusing as part of this uh, domestically. And according to China's main space actors, there are three key spirits uh, or also historic influence that make uh, this emerging space culture really quintessential to Chinese. There's the traditional spirit, the two bombs, one satellite spirit, and also the crude space spirit. So the traditional spirit is uh, very much refers to the traditional Chinese civilization, the culture and the values which constitute uh, constitu the bedrock of contemporary China. The two bombs and one satellite spirit refers to the 1960s when China uh, first achieved the successful atomic bomb and the intercontinental ballistic missile tests, as well as the launch of its first artificial satellite. Lastly, the crude spirit uh, refers to China's uh, Taikonaut program. This is um, Chinese for astronaut particularly the launch of China's first uh, Taikonaut in 2003, which cemented China as a member of the prestigious Crude Space Flight Club alongside the United States and Russia. So now what can we say about China uh, landing its rover and becoming the second nation in the world after the United States um, on Mars? Would China actually uh, uh, pose a threat to the current uh, US-led order? I would say not so much. Um, China is a rising power, indeed. Economically, it has it has uh, risen greatly. However, um, the chances is very much that it all, only wants to cement itself as a regional power, um, as part of rising powers theory, that it doesn't want to contest the actual hegemony. It actually wants to have an equal sitting table uh, in as part of the international order. Of course, this is not myself defending any of the actions or supporting. Um, however, it is very much that we actually take this from a very practical lens and we see that China actually wants to cement itself as a strong um, uh, power uh, with, with its people, that it wants to really uh, have the Communist Party uh, uh, cement uh, as a centralizing force uh, in China, um, reason for which why the rover landed 
on the 100th birthday anniversary of the Communist Party. So there's a lot of internal propaganda that really outweighs the soft power influence that uh, would go. Um, and yes, it would be used for space exploration. And yes, indeed, space exploration can lead to more than that uh, from the terraformation of Mars to actually creating uh, infrastructure in this as, um, uh, as a geostrategic area, as we become an interplanetary system uh, as a civilization. However, I think uh, we are not at this stage to think about this. Of course, it is always good to have this long uh, trend foresight analysis and to like analyze um, uh, these threats. However, um, at this stage, at least, China wants to cement itself as a strong uh, domestic actor with the Chinese government, uh, government, the Communist Party, wanting to maintain the unity of the country. So, I mean, th this next question is also uh, kind of future focused as well. I mean, how do you see this playing out in the next, let's say, five to 10 years? I mean, obviously, it, it, it can be a bit difficult to predict uh, exactly what, what is, is going to occur. But how, how do you think this is going to go, in your opinion? Excellent question, George. So this very much links to my current article that I'm uh, writing for my think tank. Uh, the uh, the new frontier, uh, China and the US uh, on uh, space. Um, the aspect is, as discussed, the Sino-American space cooperation has always been shaking. And um, it would be very important to actually improve these ties uh, in order to actually maintain an equal uh, level playing field. Um, as uh, um, this would actually help the US and Russia de-escalate uh, the 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 uh, issues they were having during the Cold War. So during the so-called Second Cold War, which is very much an ideological battle between democracy and autocracy, um, it would be really interesting to actually de-escalate an emerging and potential Sino-Russian axis in space, and also really serve as a bargaining chip to help and sustain other areas of cooperation. Um, so while China and the US seem to really clash themselves in virtually every aspect uh, of space, uh, this would be a really important moment for them actually to bind their cooperation and exchange information. Of course, exchanging technology would actually also be a potential threat uh, to, to, to themselves. However, there's an important uh, area to actually understand that China wants to maintain itself as a domestic power, potentially as a regional power, um, and that it would be a really uh, smart way to actually de-escalate uh, de this um, geopolitical rivalry. Um, the aspect of technology as a self is that uh, there are legitimate concerns indeed that this collaboration could actually lead to technology sharing uh, and leads to un uh, unfair advantages um, uh, for one of the, the two parties. However, we have to really understand that the US enjoys a significant leadership in, uh, in some space technologies, including satellites, and much of that technology is proprietary, shared with no other countries in the area of human spaceflight. However, we really have to understand that um, we really have to have a gradual collaboration with China in the next five and 10 years to actually uh, uh, enable ourselves to become an interplanetary civilization, but also to avoid uh, any uh, de-escalation of conflict, such as uh, using nuclear weapons in space. Brilliant. Um, so just basically the, the, the final question to you, I mean, um, Obviously, the listeners are primarily young people. So, what are your what are your final messages to them? We've spoken uh, in abundance about 
some of the very scary threats that we are that we are seeing but it'd be great to leave with a let's say a note of positivity and also where can they find out more of your work whether that's um with CYS or or others no no thank, thank you very much for this opportunity george to be part of the young communitarians it has been a really great pleasure uh, on my side as a key message to all uh, our young listeners as part of the young, uh, young humanitarian and also our cos audience um, is very much to stay curious so by being curious we'd actually be able to really identify this emerging uh, 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 trends as part of this uh, new areas of interest and uh, really uh, much cooperating with uh, one another. Um, very much having a trust uh, in, in cooperation to actually enable uh, the, advancements, uh, the advancements in this area. So of course, we do not have to be naive and really have to understand that every country has its national interest. Uh, however, as young individuals, will become the future, uh, the future decision makers of this world. And uh, it is very much important for us to have these key discussions uh, for us to re cement the principles that will govern our lives in the next 10 years uh, plus. Um, and uh, if we really want to like have a more sustainable world in space, uh, we would really have to discuss aspects such as space debris, uh, such as um, using space for peaceful uses, such as exploration uh, and research. And um, by this, I encourage all the speakers to really advocate and to raise their voice as uh, every voice of uh, a young person matters. And I think the Young Humanitarians has really embodied this by having key speakers uh, as part of your podcast to express their opinions and to engage in the strategic discussions. Um, as really one thing that uh, young people show the most is the creativity, the lateral thinking in key strategic uh, matters, and really just the foresight and actually also the grand reality of like how their life will be impacted in the next 10 years. And this is really important for uh, key decision makers where it is now um, from the US government to the Chinese government or from other uh, international bodies, even in UNOSA, uh, it would be important to, to uh, go on this. And on our side at CYS, uh, as part of the political military uh, program, we have the cyber security program and it is dealing with uh, uh, emerging disruptive technologies. And myself, of course, as the founder, uh, I'm very much uh, focusing on the maintenance and the growth of the organization. However, uh, I am uh, actively involved into uh, uh, analyzing nuclear warfare trends or focusing myself on uh, space-based capabilities and also AI given uh, my, my work uh, as a special assistant at NATO AC team. Uh, I really just want to emphasize that everything that has been said here uh, has been a reflective out of my personal passion and public information um, and not reflective of uh, uh, the organization that I'm working for. Uh, George, it has been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to take part in future uh, strategic discussions as part of the Young Humanitarian. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Andre. You're, you're currently in New York, so I'll let you enjoy um, the rest of your, your long weekend there. Um, thanks so much for your time, and uh, we'll speak soon. Excellent. Thank you. Just a final word from me. Uh, we hope that you've really enjoyed all of these 10 episodes. We've covered a really wide variety of topics, naturally from space policy to cybersecurity and geothermal energy. Um, we're going to be going for a mid-season break. 
um, just for a couple of months. Uh, so we'll be back either at the end of July or beginning of August. If you want to keep in touch with us, uh, please do um, send over an email to us whether you're interested in participating uh, in the Young Humanitarians. You can also follow us on all the various different social media, so LinkedIn and Instagram are the primary ones that we're using. In either case, we we really hope that you've enjoyed um, all of these episodes and we'll be back soon enough with some more. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>